Hey everyone, episode number 16 of Heal Thyself. Welcome and thank you for joining us, watching, viewing. I'm so happy to be doing this. I'm really happy that this show has been supported so well by so many. You'll remember if you had the chance to see uh, last week on Instagram, I had announced that we hit even over 100,000 downloads just on iTunes, just on iTunes, which is pretty incredible because we did that in what, 14 weeks. So uh, really happy to be part of this process. Really happy to be empowering everyone. Um, we have an awesome show today. So much good stuff to go over. So before we go into the knowledge bomb, I wanna make a few announcements. We moved into this new studio, still in Santa Monica. So uh, it's really exciting because we're growing, we're expanding and we're doing a lot. So really happy to be part of this process with an awesome company, Malka Media. Um, I wanted to bring up something. I was in the car and I was talking to my friend and speaking about how so many of us really aren't proactive until something manifests for us to be proactive about or reactive about. And um, this was in reference to what we're doing to our environment. But then she had brought the, up the issue or situation saying, you know, but you don't feel pain. You know, you're tight with your body, but won't be proactive with stretching every single day until you feel pain. And it's true. So that got me thinking, how can we be more proactive? So there's so many things we can do with our lives and thinking about from each level, how can I be more proactive with my body? How can I be more proactive with the food I'm eating, with how well I'm taking care of my body, stretching, doing yoga, whatever it is. And then creatively, are we expressing ourselves creatively? And how can we be more proactive until we come to the point where, you know, we're on our deathbed and we go, I've never done anything creative with my life. I always wanted to paint. I always wanted to draw. I always wanted to write poetry. I always wanted to sculpt. Um, and the same goes with other parts of you, right? Mentally, emotionally. Can we be proactive about, let's say, forgiving our loved ones before they're on their deathbed or forgiving ourselves before we have a situation that comes up or even, you know, spiritually finding your, your, why you're here on earth and what your real passion is. So the whole point I want to make before we get into this is be more proactive about your life and find what ways you can start now before there's a time where you regret not coming to that point and taking uh, initiative and being assertive in your own health and your own relationships. All right, needed to say that, wanted everyone to be empowered on that part of life, but really this knowledge of bomb is gonna be good. Why? We're gonna be talking about some amazing stuff. We're gonna be talking about toxins and toxins, you know this is my thing. You know this is my thing. I have been all about environmental medicine, what our relationship is to our home, our work, earth, people, whatever it is. But because I talk so much about it, I want everyone to be clear about who's regulating toxins, chemicals in our environment, what's being done about it, um, when it started, what people think about it. So we have to have a really good idea because we'll be empowered enough to understand what we can do and what regulating authorities are trying to do. So in 1976, there was the EPA Toxic Substance Control Act. And this is the act that was uh, initiated to regulate chemicals, right, in our environment. Contrary to what popular belief may, may say to this, it's not that they're 
saying, okay, this is a toxin and this is not a toxin, right? It's no, nothing toxic, non-toxic. It's really just a new chemical or an existing chemical. And it's gonna get good. The Toxic Substance Control Act basically does not require any toxicity testing before submission to the EPA from the company that's developing the, the toxin or the chemical. Um, and then there's no safety inf information required when it's submitted. So the EPA then has 90 days to determine whether this toxin is safe for or, or deemed safe, basically. It, it needs to uh, be able to present itself with, a, with an unreasonable risk to society. But they need to determine that based on computer modeling that they use that is outdated, antiquated, and really, really poor at evaluating uh, whether the toxin is quote unquote dangerous or not. On top of that, on top of that, the EPA has 90 days to do this. 90 days, that's it. You can imagine how long safety testing can take. As a consequence to all of this, with this 90 days deadline and with antiquated uh, testing, the, they believe that actually only 40% of these submitted chemicals are tested for acute toxicity, are tested for mutagenicity, do they cause cancer? Uh, if, if even they're even completed testing at all, but that's just, that's a generous percentage, 40%. Um, and then there's even less data on long-term effects, right? So a lot of people focus on cancer and rightfully so, especially with testing, but no one pays attention to developmental issues, infertility, reproductive issues in general, overall, chronic diseases, neurological diseases, how it affects the nerves and the brain. Cause we're, we're starting to see so many of these chemicals affect animals in testing unfortunately, but affecting animals to the point where it's destroying their brain, right? And, and this will bring me to later on the show what I'll be talking about, but I want everyone to understand that these chemicals just flow in, right? Oh, we, we already know 62,000 were grandfathered without even, without even asking, uh, is it toxic? Does it cause cancer? No, when this act was when, the, when this act was initiated, 62,000 just ran in. So they opened their doors and there was just a huge influx of chemicals. So already we all, the 62,000 are in question, all right? Then the other ones, the new ones that have come out since the 70s, we're, we don't even know if there was sufficient data uh, shown that they were safe or not. Uh, and then again, I said the generous percentage was 40%. So since the seventies to about 1994, there's been over 24,000 new submissions for chemicals. And for only 5,000 of those submissions did they require additional data, the EPA. So it's believed that at least, at least half came into our environment, into the market without proper testing. So we're building all these chemicals into the environment. They're going into our food. They're going into our air, right? They're going into our materials, our mattresses, our bedding, our walls. So we have to understand we have a cup. That cup starts filling up poor nutrition and all of these exposures and stress and gut issues, whatever it is, that cup starts filling up. So then that straw that breaks the camel's back in the form of maybe a tick bite in the form of maybe a mold exposure, 
that's when everything starts overflowing. So what I'm trying to do is have you all understand what we can do right now and have an understanding of what's around us and the poor regulation so we can start empowering ourselves with more urgency. So then there was an EPA evaluation that found that 85% of these new chemicals, uh, the health effects were deficient about reporting. We, didn't, we don't even know about 85% of those new chemicals. And then 67% of these new chemicals contain deficient health or environmental effects of any kind. So basically they're submitting all these chemicals, more than half of them we know uh, cause health issues, but they're still coming on. And 85% of them, they didn't even report well enough to show that there's health issues. So naturally, you would think that there's a lot of criticism, and there is, from government officials, from well-renowned scientists, non-government officials, academics. I mean, everybody rips this apart. And the problem is, is that they're failing to ensure not only human health, but environmental health and environmental welfare and how we're affecting everything around us. Um, it hasn't been substantially updated until 2018, which I'm gonna talk about, but there is criticism. And really the criticism relies on legal, organizational, political challenges. And this is, this is really why sort of, I kind of feel bad for the EPA. They have their hands behind their back. And while their hands are behind their back, they have to evaluate uh, a giant, party of new chemicals every day and they have to do it in 90 days and they have to do it with poor testing so this is what it is this is how this is how the industry works right now the biggest issues really are that as i mentioned the producers are not required to disclose any sufficient information for the chemicals that they're submitting we also know that the government lacks legal tools, uh, the, the testing techniques to really identify, to prioritize, to take any action on it, to really negate any of these effects that, that are happening. And the industry and the government, they've, they've, they, they only invest very little into understanding chemicals. They invest very little into just chemical research, not only of just one chemical in itself, but chemicals as a whole, how do they interact with each other? We kind of don't even know. And I bring this up because we see so many issues in environmental toxicity and disease. Environmental medicine, I believe is a huge wave of the future and this is why. Um, and even, even when they, these uh, producers submit their chemicals, there's trade secrets. So sometimes the EPA doesn't even know what chemical is on the application that it's referring to and uh, doesn't know even how to test it. This is really happening. Can you imagine this? this is a high level testing in the government that you would believe does all of its due diligence, turns over every stone, but at the end of the day, it really is a shit show. So the biggest update since the 70s for this was in February of this year. And the EPA released finally an updated Toxic Substance Control Act. And the inventory of chemicals that existings was basically cut in half. 47% went down, a little less than half. It, it went from uh, 86,228 chemicals. That's how many chemicals were just floating around in the environment. Majority, we had no idea what they do alone, certainly not as a whole. And they cut it down to 40,655 chemicals on the inventory. Great. Still, 40,655, majority of those, we don't know what they're doing to us, but it's a step in the right direction. It, it, it took more than 50 years, 60 years, but it's happening. 
great. I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. Um, so how do we move forward? Really empowering ourselves. The whole point I did this little spiel on Toxic Substance Control Act is because I want us to all understand where we're at. I want us to understand who's regulating what. I want us to understand, does it matter? Because I mean, I've been at the supermarket before and there's people who blindly buy buy um, cleaning supplies or chemically laden soaps and lotions and not really questioning because the belief is that someone there, like a regulating authority is taking care of us, but they're not. And now we see, I've presented you with the information to understand because no one is taking real good care of us, watching out for our health, that we should do it for ourselves and each other, and our families. So be empowered, let's make a change, understand chemicals, understand Environmental Working Group, which is the best reporters of these chemicals, and understand that we can empower ourselves. Listen to the product reviews, do your research, and look, let's go to the product review. It's gonna be a good one. I'm gonna empower everyone how to find out what to do in their home when it's dirty. All right, today's product review is going to be on one of my favorite uh, materials, products that we have, and here's why. Because who doesn't, under their sink, have cleaning supplies? All-purpose cleaners, bathroom cleaners, tile cleaners, kitchen sink cleaners, whatever it is. You have to understand, to get out all that grout and all that dirt, there's going to be some chemicals in there, for the most part. But, believe it or not, there's some out there that are much cleaner, much or as effective, and uh, we need to know. In this industry, greenwashing is rampant, rampant. I put up a post a while ago or a story on the grading of one of these that I'm gonna be talking about and people are going crazy. They go, well, it's at Whole Foods. What? I can't believe why, I mean, this is something that it says natural, it says clean. Um, so let's talk about it. We're gonna talk about how to clean our homes safely. But before I go into that, I want to mention some chemicals off the top of your head. Write these down, type them in your phone, memorize them, whatever. Because if you go under your sink and you pull out one of your cleaning supplies and you see chlorine, phthalates, EDTA, triclosan, ammonia, bleach, parabens, phosphates, petroleum-derived solvents, volatile organic compounds like formaldehyde, sodium lauryl sulfate, Glycol esters. These are ones that we really want to watch out for. And I guarantee you're going to find the majority of those in conventional cleaning products. And by conventional, I mean ones that you're going to find in your everyday grocery, ones you're going to find in probably Home Depot or, or at, the, at Costco. So let's understand the popular ones, right? Like Clorox or uh, or Mr. Clean or Tide or whatever it is, they're, they're, those, those companies are really not going to be uh, well-versed or really care about putting out a clean product. So what I'm here really to do is teach you about greenwashing in this industry, right? It goes without saying, don't wash your house with Clorox. That We know that bleach affects uh, people's respiratory systems, but they really, really affect children's respiratory systems. So I thought it more important because of this population of people who watches, they tend to be a lot more awakened and advanced in health to talk about the greenwashing ones and the really high-end ones. Um, 
So one of the major effects of exposures to chemicals and cleaning supplies is going to be induction of asthma. What we do see is that people without even a history of asthma are coming down with symptoms of asthma. Um, and it's a lot of these chemicals. I even smell them now. Some of, the, the, some of them are really strong. So the preservatives uh, within these chemicals, they usually house some of the most nasty impurities. And these are formaldehyde, which is a volatile organic uh, compound, which I spoke about one or two shows ago, nitrosamines and 1,4-dioxane. Those are really nasty because why? We know definitively that they cause cancer. Children born of women who held cleaning jobs while they were pregnant have an elevated risk of birth defects. This was a study by the New York Department of Health, 2010. Uh, higher rates of birth defects. Why? Is because these chemicals affect DNA. They're mutagenetic, they're carcinogenic, they affect DNA. We know that they cause fertility issues and birth defects. So why not put something in your home that is safe for you, safe for your kids, safe for your pets, safe for your family, safe for your friends, okay? So when it comes to the resources in studying uh, and, and putting, together, uh, putting together all of the safe chemicals, well, as I mentioned before, most of the industry is focused on, if anything, the way, if it can cause cancer or not, especially safety studies. The rest, we ignore birth defects, hormone disruption, immunological changes, organ toxicity, uh, neurological changes. It, those are more, there's not many resources that go in there where they just really care about cancer, rightfully so, but it does a lot more than that. So uh, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is really the body that looks over cleaning supplies, and it's a U.S. government agency. They set the upper limits for toxicity, okay, but guess what? It was found that the commissioner and chairman were paid for by the industry and in taking trips all over the world. So what's safe and what's pure at this point? Regardless, let's just go over these so we can be empowered and we know which ones to get. One of the kings of greenwashing is method. Method, all-purpose cleaner, naturally derived surfactant, grapefruit um, with a non-toxic plant-based power green technology. Man, this stuff, and they, and they sell it at Whole Foods, so it must be good, right? Well, not necessarily. This, since it came out in 2012, for four months was rated a C. And then they changed the formula a little bit, and it's been rated an F since 2012 on the Environmental Working Group. Um, they say they have the non-toxic power green technology. You look on the website, they don't really explain anything about it. Um, when you look at the ingredients, there are certain ingredients that are already concerning off the bat, but really it's the ones that are not disclosed because a lot of these cleaning supplies don't have to disclose all of their ingredients. The number one concern in this method is color. Literally, it's just, it's the color ingredient. Um, and this, this is rated an F. And one of the biggest concerns is, again, the, the non-disclosure. They don't have to disclose anything about color chemicals. And what's it connected to? Asthma, of course, as I mentioned, neurotoxicity, brain and nerves, uh, fertility damage, mucosal irritation. Uh, that's, it's a nasty one. And, and think about it, all of these all-purpose cleaners that are really vibrant in color and method made it a method of, of going with, you know, really bright colors that are aesthetically pleasing. But 
on the website, they'll admit that a lot of these colors are synthetic. It also really, really affects aquatic life, uh, which is already in itself a crime by the industry. Um, nervous system effects. For fragrance, it does have poor degradation in the environment too and in the body. So look, method, I, I, it, it's, it's the RX bar of cleaning supplies. And I always villainize RX bar, but you know, they're sneaky. The method for this is taking it and throwing it in the garbage. There's no other way around it. Don't use method. It's a really crappy product. Little bit better, but not much. And by not much, I mean F to D is Miss Meyer's Clean Day uh, Surface Cleaner. And this one is also at Whole Foods. So you go, oh, wait, it's at Whole Foods. This usually toggles between a D and a C um, by the Environmental Working Group. But look, this one smells really strong. Um, I smell it from here. And it's that smell that it's not naturally derived. It has that fragrance, as I mentioned. Um, one of, there's an office I work at now that I think about it and it smells exactly like this chemical lavender. They must use this one. So regardless, it, it's, it's chock full of fragrance. I just mentioned what fragrance does, why we don't want it in the body, but it also has this chemical called methylisothiozyolinone. I'm getting better at naming these chemical names, but yeah, that's of high concern. That's really high concern because of what it does to the skin, uh, mucosal irritation, allergies, damage. It's a biocide and biocide is the reason why we use it, right? To sanitize surface tops. Great. Miss Myers does that, but what else does it biocide? What else does it kill? Well, brain cells and animals. So literally the contact with this chemical is damaging our brain cells. Now, guess who is most susceptible to that exposure? Your children, right? So if you're thinking you're doing well by using Miss Myers, which they've convinced us that we are, I mean, you see it in the front, it's for hardworking homekeeping, right? It's gentle on your home. It's tough on dirt and grime. Well, perfect. I mean, it's gentle on my home. Uh, it's soothing, relieving, like it's using all the, all the buzzwords, freshens, clean day. I mean, they do a really good job and they do remove all those chemicals like formaldehyde, parabens, and phthalates. That's awesome. But still they replaced it with chemicals, not that, that much better. So keep that in mind. Look, that's what Miss Myers is. It's a D, it's a C. Um, those two that I mentioned, the method, Miss Myers, don't have them in your home. They're not doing you any good. If you're not gonna make your own home cleaner, which is so easy, and you can do it with something like apple cider vinegar, baking soda, borax, essential oils, then and, and you just wanna go and quickly buy, then look, there's two other really good ones that I wanna talk about. BioClean All-Purpose Cleaner. This is also bought at Whole Foods, a little more expensive, for a reason, because it gets an A rating. And then Branch Basics. Branch Basics is an all-purpose concentrate. You put it into bottles. These are so much cleaner. I like the Branch Basics a little bit better. It has less ingredients. It has more benign ingredients. The BioClean is really good too, although it's a little bit more synthetic. It, both of them use safer materials, much safer for kids. They do the job. I've used both. They smell good. I've used both. Um, Another one that I like is people people always rave about it. Um, I've used it once. Uh, a bottle is the Thieves one, the Thieves one by Young Living. They use essential oils. Um, th that one's that one's nice and strong. So, look, we have choices out there. This is why I do these product reviews to show you the split between the greenwashing 
and the real stuff, right? And you'll remember that I spoke about BioClean with laundry detergent, that got an A. So BioClean is really uh, a company that is more purposeful in keeping us safe and keeping us healthy. Branch Basics, really cool. This is um, affordable, clean. It's fragrance-free. It doesn't have a strong, strong smell. You can always add in essential oils to it to, to change it up a little bit, but you can pretty much use this on everything. So look, now you're empowered. You know what's greenwashed. You know what's clean. And certainly don't go to the conventional grocery store where they're only selling really big industry cleaning supplies from Tide or Clorox, uh, Mr. Clean, and go to stores like Whole Foods or go on to Thrive Market. They can deliver this right to your door and get yourself some better cleaning supplies. It's so important. And if you work in the cleaning industry, certainly this should be your first intervention starting today. <sighs> All right, clean home, safe pets, safe kids, safe family, high vibrations. This is what we do. Call out the companies that are doing it greeny. Call out the companies that are doing it cleany. All right. Much love to everyone. We're going to go on to our special guest and we're going to be doing it the way we do it best. All right. Today's special guest is a very special guest because he got on a plane from Seattle, flew over here to drop some knowledge for everyone. And I've purposely not been talking about Lyme disease for this reason, because we are going to learn a lot. I can't wait to have this conversation. Please, without further ado, Dr. Patrick Fox. Thanks, Dr. G. It's yeah, good to be here. It's yeah. to see you again. Yeah. How, how do you like being in the Los Angeles sun versus the Seattle. You mean gloom. the June gloom right now? It is June gloom. <laughs> I came ready though. Yeah, I was is ready it, for Cali weather. Is it like Seattle right now? Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, I, I didn't understand when I moved here why June has so much gloom. You know, I'm supposed to be in the sun, like yeah. surfing in the sun, right? In June? No. In the Pacific? No. You have to wait till July. Yeah, I was like, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> man. So I'm glad you came down here because. Yeah, thank you. You are. Oh, you are a boss when it comes to <laughs> lime and mold. And uh, actually, maybe a lot of the listeners or viewers don't even know, but when I was going through some mold stuff, you had helped me out mm. a lot. Yeah. Um, and we had conversations about what to look for, how to treat it, and knock on wood, I'm better. Good. And, I, and a lot of these treatments or your protocol has really helped. Yeah, good. And I'm happy to hear that. And yeah. always, right? And I think that's the beauty of being a naturopathic doctor is having like, a large variety of things to do, right? Yeah. You might hit a wall with a protocol, you might hit a wall with a treatment, and then you're like, wait, let's take a step back and view it again from a different angle, figure it out from there. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. your tool belt, you have a lot of modalities in there. Yeah, that's and that's really what the clinical focus for me was in my training, was just having more tools, right? You know, I grew up on the East Coast, thought medicine was one thing, yeah. and then learned medicine could be all kinds of different things, and I yeah. think that uh, what I love that we do is that we just get to help people. Yeah. And we have the best tools to do that. Yeah. And sometimes it's conventional stuff. A lot of times it doesn't have to be. Why? What? What was the reason you chose naturopathic over not going to? Alabama? Yeah, that's a great question. I love. And I was talking about doing an origin story anyway. So I love yeah. that we're kind of diving Boom. into it. Yeah, right there right it is. There. I um, grew up a military brat, so I moved a bunch as a kid. Uh, and my family and I, we just were stationed kind of all over the U.S. And I ended up doing a study abroad program during college. And um, I was, you know, I'd always wanted to be a provider. Um, I didn't know what that looked like. I had good grades. They weren't the best grades. Um, so 
on the East Coast, I was like, oh, I'm either gonna, you know, you know, medicine looks like Johns Hopkins, medicine looks like the NIH, and it has to look like an MD, and there's no other option. And um, <clears throat> I moved to Europe for a year, and I was on a bus, an uh, overnight bus from Brussels to Prague, and I was sitting next to my friend's aunt, who was uh, in from Portland, Oregon, and she was talking to me about what she did. And she taught me about naturopathic medicine. And this 12-hour bus ride from Brussels to Prague, I just was like, that's, I got off the bus and like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I got to my hostel, and, and this is like the early 2000s, I emailed my parents like, I'm gonna go do this. Oh, by the way, I'm not available for two weeks because I'm off the grid, bye. Yeah. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> two weeks later, like, what, what did you, what, what are you, you doing? What yeah. are you mumbling about? Yeah. yeah. And so it just, it connect, I connected with it in a way that felt like me. I was a generally healthy kid growing up. I think a lot of NDs become NDs because they weren't healthy mm -hmm. and they had to find their way. Um, I was lucky and blessed enough not to have that be my story, but I just love love having more more tools, like yeah. you keep saying, more tools in our toolbox, um, more ways to connect with people, more ways to approach a problem, more yeah. ways to view a problem. Yeah, more time too, right? And that's more time and like that's really what for me, that's Lyme. And I think a lot of people think Lyme, they get really scared and really freaked out. Really, it's just a multiple systemic infectious disease syndrome. Yeah. That's what we call it. Because yeah. it affects tons of stuff. In different ways, different people. In different people. people. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, people are like, what are the symptoms? And you're like, well, what symptoms do you have? Because <laughs> start it could, there, it could be right? that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes these Lyme questionnaires are like, Oh, 10 man. pages long, front oh, to back, and I you're know. like, okay, I'm well. I'm sorry to all my patients, I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, well, I do get headaches and sniffles, but yeah, yeah it's when just. When was the last time you had, you know, like, well, today yeah. or yesterday, and it happened once, or it hasn't happened again in yeah. whatever time. So, um, yeah, I think that that's why I love working with Lyme patients, because they're just chronically complex. Yeah. And the complex puzzles are my favorite puzzles. God bless you because I don't work with Lyme. Yeah. I, I, I every time a Lyme patient comes, I, I say, mean, you no, do. No, no, you just no. don't know it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I won't take a, like a diagnosed Lyme patient because it is complex. So much work, and I'm already in oncology. That's mm -hmm. already complex. Mm -hmm. and so much work. For me, it's like choosing which one as far as that because in our field we know that Lyme patients are, you know, really, really. We have to dedicate yeah. so much to these patients. Yeah, and Lyme and oncology are intimately tied together. Yeah. Infections seed yeah. problems on a cellular level, mm -hmm. which beget cancers. Yeah, so yeah, and we and we know there's multiple infections that cause multiple cancers. Absolutely. Um, so look, you're up in Seattle, and yeah. how how often are you seeing Lyme patients? Because we're we sort of believe, oh yeah, you know, it's in the East Coast, you yeah. know, Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah, but it's <clears throat> it's everywhere. Lyme is a global disease. Okay, it's not just here. There are tons of ways you can get Lyme. Yeah. So it's not just tick bites. So yeah, Lyme Connecticut's famous for the discovery of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis in a series of kids in the 70s. It's actually not the first place we saw an outbreak like this. First one was actually in, in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. maybe a decade earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and so just Lyme became famous because it was, you know, it just happened to be the thing. Yeah. Um, so um, Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the, uh, the spirochetic bacteria. Mm -hmm. So a spirochete just means spiral shaped. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a bacterium, super ancient old. Uh, it is what causes Lyme disease. So we call it Borreliosis maybe, yeah. or Lyme Borreliosis. Um, yeah, Lyme happens on the East Coast a lot. We know that because it's a, ticks are naturally on that part of the country. There are lots of them there. Exodes pacificus though, is an entire tick species dedicated to the West Coast. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. there are ticks out of uh, Texas, like the Lone Star tick 
Um, and people start having, this is fascinating, have a intolerance to eating red meat. Really? This is like a pathognomonic for that infection. Really? And you wonder why, what, 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 what is, is the, that? yeah, what's the mechanism behind that? Yeah. I wonder if it's the, the tick's preference taking over your body for something. You know? Or did the tick kind of evolve to be what it is, this lone star tick from feeding and feasting on cattle and yeah. stuff like that. I'm fascinated by that. The environmental connection with human health, oh, I think yeah. is the most fascinating part yeah. of like humanity yeah, <laughs> living and, on this planet. And, and, we, and we sort of overlook that sometimes in medicine, yeah. especially conventionally we go, oh wait, well the environment, no, 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 it has nothing to do with, with that. Right, and conventionally, oh, you didn't go for a hike? Oh, yeah. there's no way. Well, there are lots of ways. I've had patients get tick bites in you know, urban settings in Seattle. Whoa. I've had people get tick bites in Santa Monica. I have, you know, like I have, on the beach. Yeah. Uh, I've had patients get it on the Pacific, you know, the PCT or the, you know, the Appalachian Trail. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't think about their pets. People don't think about their pets being ways those vectors hitch a ride into your home. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, and it's so many ways, not just from the vector itself. So ticks being like catching a ride on uh, migratory animals like birds. Yeah. With the bird, birds traveling further and further because of global warming and all these aspects of environmental changes that we're experiencing, we're getting more exposure to ticks in different places. Yeah. We just found ticks native to China on, on deer, in, or I'm sorry, on uh, sheep in New Jersey. Oof. There's no way they should be there Oof. at that farm in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, and there we go. Like how we are related to our environment, how we're affecting the environment, um, I, we, we seem to just not really care until it's it's sort of until it's a problem it's a big problem right, right. until we until we don't know what's going on right yeah. and and that that begets things like you know like we know that mosquitoes are a problem and biting flies are a problem they also can be vectors for this kind of disease yeah. it's not super well documented yet but we know that's part of it yeah. we know there's vertical transmission from mom to baby in utero with mom has an active infection we're also seeing sexual transmission yeah. which doesn't surprise it shouldn't surprise anybody it, it's Lyme is like uh, it's a cousin of syphilis. Mm -hmm. Syphilis is another mm -hmm. spirochetic infection. Mm -hmm. It's we call Lyme this like the you know the we used to call syphilis the great imitator because it looked like lots of different things, different stages of that disease, mm -hmm. right? And we didn't know how to treat it for a long time. And the same is true for Lyme. And so Lyme is now like the great imitator. It's it's the it's the syphilis of the 21st century kind yeah. of. Yeah, I remember learning at school that that the bacterium is very much so advanced it sort of really has a brain of its own and and versus other bacteria species mm -hmm. um can you talk about that like how, yeah. how cunning and smart it's like yeah and that it's a good point to bring up too because it, it begets kind of the question about why it's hard to find it when you're looking for a diagnosis like that too so the spirochete spiral shape is really good at burrowing into different tissue spaces and escaping the bloodstream how do we test for anything yeah. Blood test. Yeah. Conventionally at least, right? Yeah. Everything's blood test. Yeah. It will leave the blood. It, it will just hide hang on the tissue. Places. Exactly. So we can't find it. It also, it, it has a decoy mechanism. So what it will do, it, it will shed uh, fungal toxins. Whoa. Toxins that we don't expect to see from a bacteria. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So spirochetes, I mean, as much as they're bacterial, they are like a spiroch or a, a fungus and a bacteria had a baby eons ago and now it's like this spirochete yeah we've it's been on this planet as long as we've been bipeds it's been here just as long as we have 
the Iceman they pulled out from the, you know, the in the Alps, whatever. Yeah, I remember seeing show on He has Lyme. Oh, he yeah. had Lyme in his blood. Ninety, like one percent of his DNA was Lyme disease, like Ooh. Lyme DNA. So it's been here. Yeah. But what's different, right? The difference is our environment, the triggers, and all that stuff. And that's so important. I want to talk about that because look, we co-evolve with these. Yeah. We co-evolve with mold. We co-evolve with Lyme disease, yeah. other other diseases. That's the big difference, right? Right. right. Absolutely. And, and what and, factors? Like, what are we? What are we looking at then? So we're looking at obviously genetics play a, play a role there. We know that the people are somewhat genetically susceptible to Lyme. There's a, a cohort of people. We know that the diet and lifestyle, we, you know, we're going to talk about all the naturopathic things, right? Diet and lifestyle, stress, uh, family stress, work stress, yeah. life stress. Um, how's your diet? What's that look like? What other concomitant issues are going on, right? Other diseases, other cardiovascular problems, maybe they're uh, musculoskeletal or gastrointestinal issues, mm -hmm. right? Um, history of medications. There are tons of things that can predispose somebody for developing Lyme. Yeah. And then, and then that's not it. We're not even talking about exposures, too. Like, no. what, what is what chemical, uh, oh, yeah. uh, heavy metal work, home, all of this stuff is just adding on to that mold. cup. Remember mold? We're talking about the cup filling up, filling up, filling up. Yep. And then that tick bite is sort of just overflows that cup. The best way to talk about it, I think, is we study this really well with ticks. So when the tick latches on, it's not not the tick, it's the bacterium within the saliva of the tick. So it's mm. injecting that in as mm. it's feeding on you, right? Um, the bacterium has ability to affect our innate and adaptive immune systems by either evading it or tricking it. So it won't see it. Mm -hmm. So it's brilliant. Yeah, It's a brilliant little bug. Um, it also will affect like uh, T cells and B cells, like I was saying, an innate and adaptive immune system, NK cells, all these like cells, mast cells. It'll mm. affect histamine responses, yeah. um, the cytochrome cascade, the inflammatory cascade that happens when we have anything like that. It just it just turns it upside down. And then constitutionally, based on the way we're made up, is expressed yeah. differently. Yeah, right? and Lyme doesn't come alone. Lyme is Lyme has a posse of friends. Lyme does not show up to the party by itself. Uh, usually, never. Borrelia, very, this polymicrobial, meaning multiple infections, yeah. is so common. Yeah. Babesia, uh, Bartonella, mm -hmm. Ehrlichiosis. Um, you could just keep rattling. Yeah. Rickettsia, yeah. Rocky Mountain. You just rattle off all these things, and they are just right there with it. Yeah. And they have their own problems, right? They're intracellular, or they just hang out here, or they have this constellation of symptoms, or this thing is showing yeah. up, and they won't. They won't be pulsed in the same way. So it's, it's so much of Lyme is, it's not just Lyme, it's, it's a bigger, broader picture than just that. How are we missing the boat on Lyme disease and why is it such a huge problem, conventionally speaking? That has to do with the criteria by which what we diagnose it from CDC standards. The CDC criteria is too narrow and it's really difficult to achieve a positive Lyme. Uh, and that kind of has to do with the way it was set up in the 70s. Um, and the, the biggest issue is that it, you leave, the testing in general is not specific or sensitive enough, mm -hmm. check. That means you're not gonna get a positive diagnosis even when you might have it, and it's rarely a false positive. Having Lyme doesn't confer immunity either. If you've had it, you can get it again kind of thing. So when we look at the diagnostic criteria, it's too, too narrow, yeah. and it, it's meant to just look at Lyme arthritis as the thing. Right. Not including all the polymicrobial infections or the other manifestations, right? My patients, yeah, they did, they've got multiple joints that are achy or painful, or they'll describe neuralgia and neuritis and numbness and tingling and nerve pain and GI, but 
it's not just one thing. And I think that it misses the mark because conventionally we're just gonna be looking at, is it in the blood? If it's not in the blood, then it's not a problem. Yeah. And the false negatives are really high on that test because we were saying it leaves the blood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hang out there. Yeah. Lyme is a, it's a clinical diagnosis. And I think that that, that has to be taken into account. It, I think NDs are really poised and integrated providers are really poised to manage this the best because of our ability to look at the whole picture yeah. and not just siloed things where it's yeah. all everybody's individual and in an individual silos. That's not, yeah. that's not good medicine and that's not how you properly diagnose or treat a clinical, di- a clinical disease like Lyme. So people who are going that route, are they getting treated, right, with their round of antibiotics and then that's it? They're just, they're, the assumption is you'll be fine after this. Right. But that's not usually what happens. Right, exactly. And it's, it's not what happens for probably about a quarter to a third of people who, have, who are diagnosed with Lyme, either an initial tick bite and they get treated with their medication. Yeah. Sometimes people get put on antibiotic therapy for years and that's a problem. Yeah, I've seen that. It doesn't work. Yeah. We know it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's a problem that we keep pushing that as the treatment. And we know research studies are showing that when you, even if you do use antibiotics, you're improving your odds by using things like, anti, like antioxidants and using herbal medicine alongside of it. We can see that really in the research. It shows that patients do better. Yeah. Even if, and if they don't use it, they do really well. Yeah. Diet, lifestyle, herbal supplementation, um, vitamins, nutrients, electrolytes, repletion, minerals, all the things that like people well, we're just lacking. Yeah, just enough from foundational the get-go. Level. Yeah, yeah, and that that's go back to the go backs to the cup because that's nutritional, right? That's the part of filling up the cup, right? And yep. and um, how many of us are nutrient deficient? Everyone. Yeah. Well, our soil is depleted of nutrients. Yeah, yeah. And then we we can get a whole conversation about yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, I do a lot of the nutrient testing too, and yeah. I'm like, oh man, why is everyone? Everyone, everyone. is depleted. Even if you're buying organic. Even if you're buying organic, I mean, my magnesium was low. Everybody. You know, a bunch of my minerals. I'm like, well, you know, that's why we have to really think about daily repletion mm-hmm. or the importance of what we're putting into our body. Mm-hmm. But even at that, again, soil, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, but how important is the role of then diet with people managing Lyme symptoms plus getting better right. then? And that's going to be individual for everybody. A lot of people talk about anti-inflammatory diets, which oftentimes, you know, we can rattle off dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free, soy, you know, you could just rattle them all off. Yeah. For me, at the end of the day, it has to be sustainable. If a patient can't do it, it's not worth trying to make them do it. Yeah. it that doesn't seem, that doesn't, for me in my head, you gotta wanna get better. Yeah. And what tools can I provide somebody to get better? And it may not, it's not gonna be a short go. It's gonna be a long process. Yeah. So for me, I always start by just treating the gut. What's going, what's funky in the gut to begin with? Mm-hmm. What microbes are there that shouldn't be there. Okay, let's treat those. Yeah. And then let's look at trying to do what's anti-inflammatory for patient A versus patient B. They're going to be yeah. different. Yeah. And yeah. patients are going to do different things. You got to you got to meet them where they're at. Yeah. So I struggle to the answer your question, you know, I in an ideal world gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. Yeah. Eating all organic, mostly plants, protein, great, fat, healthy fats, yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's not real life. <laughs> and sustainable to some people, really, to be honest. And not sustainable, and it's and it's not necessarily inexpensive. Yeah. And that's another part. We just have gotten so far away from where we come from, which is the earth, mm-hmm. and working with the soil and yeah. our hands. And you know, we've talked about this a bunch, but 
that's that is part of the bigger issue. I mean, I think we just talked about farmers markets, right? We were just yeah. like, yeah, why people? Why are we not knowing who we're who is making our food, who's growing our food? Like yeah. that's an important. If it's not you. Know who it is. Yeah. Get, I, man, I try to preach that all the time. And you saw I went off the other day you on did. that because you we did. need to. We need to be tied to what the source is for us Yeah. and get back to nature. I mean, we have like all of this modern technology and changes. I, I feel like we're going to come full cycle at some point and go, yeah. well, how can I get back to nature? Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's, it's great accessing all this information mm-hmm. and having accessibility to all these different types of food and maybe maybe a watermelon in the middle of December, you know, but at some point you're like, whoa, whoa, how can I change this? Like, what, what can I get back to nature with? People with Lyme, um, it, how bad does it get when it, when it progresses? What, what do we see? Because, you know, everyone we hear, oh, you know, the, the joint pain, the muscle pain, some gut stuff and some nerve stuff. But what are some really interesting things that you may have seen in your clinic? So some of the patients that I've seen in the past, have, some of their tumors have Borrelia in them. Oof. That's mind blowing. Yeah. And that one just shook me. Yeah. It just, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this yeah. here? You know, it's debilitating. Some people lose their ability to move. They become paraplegic or they lose their ability to function in the world. They're cognitively, wow. cognitively dissociated from everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a cascading effect, a cascading inflammatory effect, really. Yeah. And, you know, inflammation is just like everybody loves talking about inflammation right now. And Lyme is is doing that on every system level to the point at which you can have system failure. So you name it, it can happen. Yeah. I don't want to say it's not one of those things that's going to like flat out kill you. Yeah. But it can. It takes away your life for sure. Right. Where's your vitality? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. if it's if death is the end of vitality, then it can happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really dark for me to talk about that, but I think that's a real place. I think it's a real for thing sure. to talk about with people. It's like, no, this is this should be taken seriously. Yeah. And if you're asymptomatic, that's great. Um, doesn't mean you're not doing yourself harm or there isn't something going on. There isn't a problem. Are there tests out there then that 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 you do that we can that are more sensitive <clears throat> and specific for this? Yeah, and there are. And at the end of the day, as a Lyme literate provider, you have to know that the lab testing isn't everything. Yeah. And you have to teach your patients that. Like just because of what it says on the paper that you don't or you do doesn't mean you don't or you do. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's that blows people's minds. And it blows my mind, you know. Um, blood testing is still a great way to test for things. I like doing like a really broad scope for a whole bunch of things, not just vector borne illnesses, but underlying bacteria and viruses that are hanging out that have been there maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a little bit more like Yersinia species coming up in patients recently. So like the species that caused the bubonic plague, like mm-hmm. it's positive in a bunch of people, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, it freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Where are we um, going with that? Yeah, what's yeah. that one? What's yeah. that about? I'll keep my eye on that. Um, you can do DNA testing for sure. And you can DNA test for individualization of the species that's going on. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it's not. And I think, again, coming looping back into like, the clinical diagnosis piece, that's really where it's at for people. And I think if I can advocate for patients, it's like, I want other providers to take patients seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like you really gotta listen and you really gotta take it, sit with it, ask really good questions because you're interested and not just because it's like checking a box or whatever else. Yeah, and that's where you really have to look for someone like you who has a passion for these disease processes, because if you're just doing it, do it. It's not, I mean, Lyme is, 
if that's life's work and you have other things that you work with, but whew, these patient populations can be heavy. Yeah. I had one Lyme patient in school and I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to work with Lyme. <laughs> I'm not going to be a Lyme doctor for sure because right. I'm like, this is so heavy. Of course, so you went cancer. to oncology? I went to oncology. <laughs> like, but no way. <laughs> I have my own like personal drive right. for that. Yeah. But still, without, I didn't want to go to oncology. Right. I, I, that was too heavy for me too. Man, I wanted to work with kids. I thought yeah. that'd be cool. But the kids are, kids, kids, kids are kids. Kids are heavy. Kids are heavy. You know what? Medicine <laughs> could just be heavy. I think that's a conclusion that we're drawing. There it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can imagine you've, you had to, how do you just separate, you know, because you have patients who come in there, I know, who have multi-systemic issues, really just their vitality is at its wit's end. Mm -hmm. You know, these people are looking for help. One, one, how do you as a provider handle that? And two, do these, can these patients get better? Yeah. And that's the cool thing. They do get better. And they get better because we do, we apply our naturopathic principles to things, right? We're applying like, how do we get back to the basics with you? Let's hit the reset button. Let's teach. Let's dosere this. Let's mm -hmm. let's get in there. Let's you know find the root cause of this problem. Okay, if Lyme is the root cause, cool. But what do we have to do to help build you back up before we may even start antimicrobial therapy? Like for me, it's all about terrain. If somebody's coming in super sick already, I'm not going to start them on yeah. antimicrobial therapy. It's going to blast them. Yeah. And that's then they're not going to get better, yeah. and they're not going to want to come in and yeah. do do the do the stuff. Right. I'm all. For me, it's it's really about being part of a team, right? You're in a your teammate is that patient, and you and the patient are working together. Because I may have information in my head, and I may dis disseminate that information to you and tell you something, but you got to do it. Yeah. And and I think if I can cheerlead for my patients, and that's really where I come from with every patient, I just want to be the best, want them to do the best they can, and then we'll troubleshoot the rest. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, practitioners just jumping into doing these without addressing the terrain. And it's it's really like yeah. rebuilding a house that's been on faulty stilts and yeah. foundation. Or and, it's got water damage and it's moldy. Or it's got water damage and it's a moldy <laughs> house. Uh, because I know you, you're, you, you have to be surprised that some people don't even know what to eat. Yeah. You know, or how to shop yep. or geez, how to sleep, how to breathe properly. Man. Like these okay. are basics. Uh, so people get better. Yes, people get better. That's, that's really awesome. And it, hang, it can hang out in the system. It, the idea of eradication, kill, 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 it, one, I think is the wrong idea. Um, I think learning, like we've been saying, to co-evolve and coexist, and that is like a microcosm of our macrocosm right now, right? Yeah. Coexistence. Um, you can get it to a place where your immune system is strong enough to recognize it, to yeah. see it, to deal with it properly. And then you now are attuned to the symptoms you're experiencing yeah. to then know like, hey, I need to go check in and see if there's something else I need to be doing or another layer or something that I need to kind of get yeah. at. But patients don't necessarily need to be seen as frequently then, right? You can move to a longer scale model. Some of my patients, see them, I see them twice a year. Yeah. Sometimes I see them twice in two months yeah. and then I don't see them for six months, right? Yeah. And they have to, you have to go live your life and you have to go do, you know, be that productive person and be part of society and raise a family and all that stuff. And so you have to give space for that, right? Yeah. There, so much of the Lyme stuff is also about the mental stuff, which obviously it's one body, right? And yeah. it's, it's all tied connected. in, imagine. Yeah. To, and, and I can attest to that because much like these Lyme manifestations, there's a lot of the mold manifestations. Yeah. And when it's the thing on your mind and 
you know, when you, you wake up about. and all you think about and if today you're going to be cognitively a mess again, yeah. uh, that's the cascade, yeah. right? Yep. Then your gut's a mess, then there's inflammation and then your, your immune system's like, I'm a yeah. mess, I'm groggy too. It's so important to have people have that peace of mind. To let them have the space to not think about it. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean you don't deal with it appropriately. It just means you also don't need to freak out every time something shows up. So do you help your patients be empowered to the capacity of even not identifying? Because people identify so hard with Mm -hmm. diseases. Mm -hmm. My autoimmune disease, my Lyme disease, Mm -hmm. my mold, my cancer. My cancer. Yeah. And uh, I think it's so important to understand that this is a process going on. Yeah. Right? Learn gratitude in some ways. I think it's about guilt, shame, and suffering. Yeah. And that's where I think you're going with like gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. I practice that patient. I sit with patients and I ask them, what, what kind of gra- what kind of gratitude, what's your gratitude practice? Yeah. How do you express gratitude? Yeah. And, and then it's, ref- then for me, it's a reflection of what I'm doing for my own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. How am I showing up for patients? Am I, do I have gratitude in my heart for them? Yeah. And showing up for myself and yeah, it, the mental part. I think that people look to like um, support groups and look to like online support groups, and that's a challenge, right? I mean, like the internet, as we know, is a great place for information, but it's also a terrible place for information. <laughs> um, Especially if you're like, "Do I have Lyme? Oh my god, I'm gonna die!" Yeah, no, everybody, it's yeah. like slow the roll, yeah. right? We just are so quick to jump and so quick to everything is the worst and I'm the worst and I deserve and and I think the way through that is gratitudes and gratitude, expressing that. That's, yeah, that's a that's a huge part of the mental part. You can shift your mind, and I'm telling you right now, the it's easy to be a victim very fast. Oh yeah, right. What happened? Why did this happen? Me, to me, me, me. yeah, mm-hmm. to me, to me. Um, but it was the moment when I I became empowered and said, you know, I'm grateful for this mold exposure. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I'm wow. going through this. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how. But I'm just going to be grateful for this. Yeah. And I said it every morning how grateful I was for mold exposure, how grateful I was for brain fog. And at the very least, that became very empowering, right? Because at that point, I said, you know what? I'm going to take control of this situation. Yeah. The shift in the mindset is, is everything. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I see that in cancer. Some people, when they, they own the situation, they go, all right, this is here in front of me. You know, I'm going to stop questioning why me, what happened, what did I say wrong, what did I eat wrong, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Once they let go of all that anger and they become empowered, you start of looking at the next steps, what, what in, what's in front of me. Yeah, the logic kind of falls right into itself, right? Yeah, yeah. You get out of that, yeah, that me, 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 the ego space. The ego space. So I, I urge everyone to just pay close attention to that. But man, you blew me away with that, that bacterium in the, in the, in the tumors. <laughs> yeah. When you think about the body, it's like, is it is it just holding and encapsulating? Is it holding mm-hmm. it, yeah. Is is that because we saw I saw that with um, they find aluminum in mm-hmm. tumors in mm-hmm. fibrocystic breast. Mm-hmm. They find heavy metals. They find other toxins in tumors. Uh, it's not chemicals. It's not surprising what the body's trying to do. Sequester. Yeah, sequester. Yep. It's so smart. Yeah, it's evolved to do this. Yeah, but we've just inundated it with so much more stuff. Way more stuff, and that's, and that's the Lyme thing too. I mean, like I was saying, Lyme's been here as long as we've been on two feet um, and walking around. So it's been part of our human experience yeah. as a species, and 
we now see it as an explosion of problems, but it's exploding because of human, because of what humans are doing, yeah. right? So we are intimately tied to our environments. We're intimately tied to what we're doing to the environment and it's being reflected back in our bodies as dis-ease. Yeah, I, that's why I've grown so close to environmental medicine since yeah. I've been out of school. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this yeah, is Yeah, I wish we'd gotten more environmental med. Yeah, we had like a semester <laughs> or two and yeah. I, was, I was like, okay, well, I guess this makes sense, but right. we need way more than that. And it's, it's, that's to me, that's where a lot of things are going. Yep. And in the way we live and in the, the way we have an understanding about what we're even sleeping on. I mean, yeah, yesterday I was talking to the CEO of a mattress company yeah. and he's like, why doesn't anyone pay attention to what they're sleeping on eight hours of a day? Yeah. They're immobile. They're just breathing it in nonstop. And we know how many chemicals are in just a mattress or bedding Ugh. or pillows, Tempur-Pedic. Yeah. And or if it's an electronic something or other, right? Right. You have yeah. You have like a you have like a heating pad yeah. under, right? Yeah. EMFs. Yeah. I'm sure that EMFs really exacerbate so much of these mold and line symptoms too. And it can. And some patients they just get really beat up by it, right? And that's where it's really individualized, and you have to just be willing to uncover every stone. Yeah. And just take a look, without any like uh, preconceived notion about you know is that good, better, and different, or are they create you know is this crazy? It's not because what is different than what we've done before? Well, so much of technology, we are, our bodies are not catching up to it yet because yeah. we're a little bit of a lag time. Yeah, and we're inundated with so much. Oh my gosh. How, yeah. how okay, so you do mold how? too. <laughs> no, not, well, the how, I'll do a whole show on the how. The, 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 the mold stuff, so how often do you see them together now? A lot. Yeah, more and more frequently. And I think that's, if you have patients who are, or, uh, people will be, a certain set of the population will be genetically susceptible to Lyme. Yeah. That means their immune systems are not able to properly clear the antigen when it shows up. So if you get a tick bite, you get the Borrelia in through the saliva of the tick, you now have the, possibly the erythema migraines, the bullseye rash that happens in like next to no one. Crazy, huh? Maybe a quarter of people. We, we're taught maybe that less. We, we're, yeah, yeah, conventionally, we know. We're that's like, what oh, it is. It's what it is. You, you didn't get a rash. You didn't it. have it. Yeah. yeah. And that's not true at all. Whoa. And so, then, yeah. yeah. So you get, <laughs> so you get that exposure, and then you don't clear the infection because your body doesn't know how to. Genetically speaking, you are, you have a mutation. It's up to like three different genes, like six alleles. Yeah. That could be mutated, and those patients that are that Lyme specific in that uh, mutation are also mold sensitive. Yeah. People are becoming more and more mold sensitive because we don't build buildings the right way. Anymore. Building biology is a fascinating topic. Yeah. It's on like my to-do list to research. My and brother's going into it. it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, little Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't that cool? <laughs> That's so cool. We, we lost it, we lost it. And I, I heard that in the 20s and 30s we were building Buildings much, much more stable, much yeah. more mold free, and then after that, it just be it just changed. Plasticizers, plasticizers, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, it, you know. And I live in a rainy area, meaning we have like three hundred some odd days of clouds. New York still gets more rain than we do, but uh -huh. you know. Uh, but they're building buildings in you know traditionally in, in the in the Pacific Northwest. They didn't build buildings until it was summer and it was super dry. Oh. You just didn't do that, and now, now I look up, up and they're popping up everywhere. I'm like. Uh, it's been pouring yeah. for like three weeks, guys. Well, when I was up in Portland, I, I passed this like new development. Yeah. And I, sh I showed the person I was with, I said, look, like it's pouring on these materials. 
And, and they're treated. Yeah. yeah, they're treated. And then we create a system in which they're sealed boxes. Mm-hmm. There's no flow, there's no flex. And that's really where mold's gonna be like, cool, I'm moving in. Me yeah, too. Thanks. I'm your roommate. You're just yeah. never gonna find me. I had a professional uh, washer clean my mold and it didn't seem like it worked. I yeah. paid a lot. Yeah. Because we brought it to the new house and in the guest room, I'm, I walk in, I was like, oh no. Yeah. Like I'm getting heady. Again, we talked like about that. that. Yeah. 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 I threw all the way my last bit of clothes, like the yeah. ones that I really wanted yeah. and treasured and like I've had, for, I just threw them away. At, at, the, at some point, you say, forget it. And what does that let you do? It opens up space for new. To redefine Gratitudes. yourself, build yourself anew. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like this is a new version of me that's happening now, evolving, becoming. Yeah. And that's the thing about the lime and the mold combo patients. And that's, it's, it's tricky. And yeah. you're not going to get better if you stay in a moldy house. Period. Or a moldy place. Period. Yeah. I, and I'll hang in there with you. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, you can't not. You have to be like, this is the deal. <laughs> if you yeah. stay here, we probably won't be able to get you well. We can sauna you. We can get you to bind everything. But if you're, if you're consistently being exposed, that comes back to the environment. There's no way. Literally every piece of me that was pre-mold is gone yeah. as far as clothes, books, furniture, you know? Yeah, sit with that. Isn't that? That's going to be a neat little journey for you to kind of like reflect is, on that and deal with is. that. But not coincidentally, as we just said, I, I took it upon myself to create a new version of me based mm-hmm. on that, right? I said, mm-hmm. all right, I've cleared all of these old identifications of who Christian Gonzalez was. Right. Right. right, and 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 at, at that point, I said, "All right, now I, there's a clean slate. That's pretty refreshing." And not just in a, a mental, emotional way, but in a physical body way. Yeah, you're not sick anymore. But it, it, that's I see the heartbreaking part of mold. That's, that's why I identify so much with it. Yeah, you know. But and you it's just expensive. you know, as a as a provider, you hold space for that. Yeah, and you don't you know you don't yell at people. You don't make people feel bad. Yeah. So so you what are your plans now? What do you what are you gonna do? Are you, are you gonna do any work out here in Cali for my Cali people listening? You know, I know, I know you're gonna get a bunch of people asking you about Lyme stuff. So. Yeah, well, it's it's. I love California, as you know. I talk about coming down pretty often. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what's coming to happen. Cool. I, you know, I just like to let things kind of unfold. You know, guided as I can, but yeah. also recognize I love where I am, and that's an important piece too, where I feel healthiest and where I feel happiest. Yeah. But I also, you know, two hours on a plane is nothing for it's me. It's nothing. I love being down here. Yeah. And uh, any any plans, programs? Are you going to write a mold book, a line book? Oh, man. <laughs> we, we need this from you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about writing. I What I really like, you know, I've just kind of really started consistently being good at my social media in terms of Instagram, which, you know, for me is kind of like writing a book, I guess, because yeah. I try to give information that I think is useful and man. unique and specialized. Um I don't know yet. I think those are interesting ideas. I think we're getting, we're seeing a lot of that happen, which I like a lot. Um, you know, and there's also that imposter syndrome, right? Do yeah. I know enough yet? Have I worked on this enough yet to be good at it? And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's my, as to be frank, that's my internal work to work on, right? I yeah. am good enough. I can do this. I'm you, doing it. Oh, you I'm are. showing up on Dr. G's show. Yeah, you are. I'm here. <laughs> I have arrived. Yeah, you so, you certainly are, man. And, and, and much, much more uh, educational, advanced, and just, plain old Lyme doctor who doesn't yeah. know about the truth about Lyme, right? right? Conventionally speaking. So, you know, people need you, yeah. you know? So, Thank so you. yeah, put it out there yeah. because we'll, we'll eat it up, really. And practitioners, we'll just learn from you. It's, 
Yeah, you, it's, it's awesome. So um, you will be, you're in Seattle? I'm in Seattle, Washington, yes. Okay, so anyone in Seattle who's listening, you need to get up there if you're flying. <laughs> There's no questions about it, yeah. Fly up, it's a cool town. Yeah, cool town and, and make a weekend out of it. And then your Instagram? Instagram, Dr. Patrick Fox. Okay. That's me. Do you have a website? Uh, PatrickFoxND.com. Okay, so now you can find. There's no excuse not to yeah. find. I'm findable. Dr. Pat, he's even Google me. I'm on the Google machine. Yeah, he's a big personality too. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's that East Coast nature. It's the East Coast nature. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. I so much gratitude for you. All right. That was our man, Dr. Patrick Fox. He just blew our mind away. He taught us about Lyme disease. He taught me some stuff about Lyme disease. If you have Lyme disease, please reach out to him. Go on his Instagram, find him, have a conversation with him. He's a Lyme boss. As I mentioned, if you have mold issues, the same thing. Such a good, pure, naturopathically based practitioner who I have so much love for. We are changing so many people's health by these principles, and I love that. Rate our show, review our show, subscribe to our show. If you haven't already, you are supporting this. We are gonna hit another 100,000 in half the time now. This show's exploding, it's growing because all of you, and I'm so appreciative, high vibrations, much love, much gratitude, ready for the next show next week. Mm -hmm.